Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at Houston's bar and restaurant world. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. This is the 20th episode of What's Eric Eating, which kind of floors me considering we started this in April without a lot of expectations. So thank you all. If you have listened, liked, commented, shared, told somebody about it, uh, we are on the Apple Podcast Store. We are on Google Play. So if you're just discovering the show for the first time, please subscribe to it. Please leave a comment. Please rate it. Please tell your friends about it. We, as a, as a technical matter, we... We could do this without you, but there really wouldn't be any point. So thank you to everyone. And uh, I will be joined by Alex Negranza and Terry Williams from Better Luck Tomorrow in a few minutes. But first, my co-host for the week, my good friend, one of my favorite co-hosts, the owner of La Olivier Restaurant on Lower Westheimer in Montrose, Mary Clarkson. Mary, welcome back. Thank you for having me, Eric. It's good to be here sitting next to you once again. How are you? I'm doing pretty okay today. No complaints. Good. We have a lot to discuss. Uh, the lead story in our News of the Week is that Allison Cook has once again published horror list of Houston's top 100 restaurants. She's the James Beard award-winning food critic for the Houston Chronicle. This takes up a lot of her time. She doesn't really publish anything from June until about the middle of September when this list comes out. I won't go through the whole list, but just briefly, the top 10, as I predicted on this podcast uh, about six weeks ago, Hugo Ortega's Oaxacan restaurant, Sochi, is the new number one, replacing Oxart, which, of course, closed in March, so it is no longer eligible, followed by BCN Taste and Tradition at two, Cultivare three, The Pass and Provisions at four, Cotarobata five, Hugo's six, Pondicherry seven, Killen's Barbecue eight, Helen Greek Food and Wine, 9. Pax Americana, 10. Obviously, Hugo, it seems like every other week we talk about some accomplishment for Hugo. Whether it's (laughs) Whether it's Sochi being named one of the best new restaurants in the country by Eater, or even more importantly, finally winning the James Beard Award for Best Chef Southwest. I'd say he's one of the big winners of this. Ronnie Killen, who had three restaurants in the ranked section of the list, that's to say the first 30 entries, Killen's Barbecue, Killen's SDQ, and Killen's Steakhouse is one of the big winners. Uh, Mary, you looked the list over. What did you, who did you kind of think of as, as the winners and, or maybe a loser or two from this? I mean, obviously, right off the top, Sochi, I think, deserved to be number one. I don't think that was in doubt. You called it early on. Uh, BCN's a favorite of mine. I used to live in Spain. I lived in Granada, and their food is amazing. The chef's incredible. So, obviously, those are kind of the big winners. Cultivare, I love that they're that she's picking neighborhood restaurants um, in here as well. Cultivare is a favorite of mine. I think some of the losers on here are possibly the smaller restaurants um, that – she may not be able to have the chance to get to. I, I know that you had spoken or on our list before the show, mentioned Cafe Annie and Brennan's. I know Brennan's went through some chef changes this past year. I don't know if she's been able to visit since uh, the new chef has kind of taken hold there. And I don't know if Cafe Annie gets punished for doing a name change or not. But I don't know who the losers are. I mean, 
it's hard it's hard to say it's a subjective list i think there are a lot of people who are consistently on here who deserve to be on here and then some of them i think maybe not it's hard for me to get really particular without getting a little hate from the community so uh. well well let me just ask you as as someone who owns a restaurant that you know not to not to twist the knife but is not on the list yes do you aspire to be on the list do you do you think being on the list is important because certainly it's hard to tell a little bit whether to what extent people use this to guide their dining decisions. You know, I aspire, I think when I'll speak for Chef Olivier for a moment, I think Chef Olivier aspires to do the best food that he can do every day. And I think a lot of people would agree that he's one of the best chefs in town. Um, we did get Allison Cook in when we first opened and um, she gave us a pretty solid review, but I don't think she's been in since she's done that review. So I think it's hard if you're not a new restaurant to get her attention perhaps to come back again. I know that Chef Olivier was one of her favorites when he was at Le Colombe d'Or and at Tony's. So um, do we get punished maybe for, in her mind, doing too much of traditional French? I don't think that we do traditional French, but she hasn't been in in several years, so she wouldn't have seen the changes that the menu's taken. It's evolved half of the menu's traditional, half of it's more contemporary European cuisine. We've got a lot of Gulf Coast cuisine on there as well. So uh, I think it's hard to get her attention. She's a busy person. Uh, 100 restaurants is a lot to go through. Do I think it's important for us? I'd be lying if I told you we wouldn't love to be on her top 100, but we've got to focus on our day-to-day operations and where we go from here. And so I try not to spend too much energy uh, thinking about it because, you know, if you're not on it, you don't want to dwell on it. Um, and there are a lot of great restaurants out there that aren't on it as well. It's subjective. It's her top 100, I agree with a lot of them. I think it's going to be an exclusive, you know, not it's not everybody's going to be included on this list, even if she probably wants to put them on there. Is it important anymore? I don't know. I don't know if it's important. You and I have talked about this. I think maybe other people should do their own list, and, and then we might have a little more of a shot at a fair comparison uh, from other food writers and food critics in the city. <laughs> yeah, I, I certainly, uh, you know, I wrote an article – for Culture Map, that was very critical of some of the decisions she made. I'll talk about some of the specifics in just a minute. Obviously, uh, I aspire to write my own list. That is not strictly speaking up to me. That is up to the Culture Map powers that be. But I have, I have made my pitch to all of them, and so hopefully, sometime in the next few months, hopefully they get to, we can find a, a sponsor that'll that'll fund this extravaganza and will uh, <laughs> will turn me loose. I I would love nothing more. Of course, I do think, you know, I mean, you can you can quibble. Uh, you know, the one that I've heard the most about from people is that Maba Pan-Asian Diner in Midtown is the 11th best restaurant in the city on Allison's list. Look, I'm not I'm not going to break down individual rankings. I, I think the people who run Maba are nice. I think the food is all right. It's not my 11th best restaurant in Houston, but it's not my list. So I'm, I'm not going to get into individual restaurant rankings. But it does seem like she's a little bit disconnected from kind of the contemporary food world. You know, Chengdu Taste came to Houston from Los Angeles. It's on Jonathan Gold's list of the 100 best restaurants in L.A. Kenji Lopez-Alt from Sirius Eats called it the best Sichuan restaurant in America. I don't know whether or not she's been there. It's not on the list. It's really hard to tell. We had a fantastic meal there. Pretty damn good. Yeah. (laughs) 
And so if you're going to have Mala Sichuan, which I love on there, Pepper Twins, which I'm okay with. I know other people like it more than I do. Has she been to Chengdu Taste? Like, do we know? You know, when she writes at Riel about the borscht, well, the borscht hasn't been on the menu all summer. So when was the last time you went to Riel? Are you current with what Ryan Lachane is doing on that menu? You know, she talks about the beverage program at Weights and Measures. She credits Mike Sammons. We had Mike on the show several weeks ago. He said, yeah, I haven't really been involved with Weights and Measures for a couple of years now. That's Isaac Johnson's beverage list, and Isaac deserves credit for the work that he does. So she seems a little bit disconnected. The choices haven't changed very much. That top 10, other than Sochi, overlaps very closely with the top 10. Last year, she shuffled some places around. It's just kind of hard to tell whether she is as engaged as she used to be in this. And it's hard to tell, you know, certainly, certainly I uh, incurred plenty of criticism for criticizing her. There's a lot of how dare you basically, <laughs> which is fine. That goes with the territory, but you, you can take it. I can, I can. I sleep just fine at night, uh, mostly because I keep a lot of bourbon and whiskey at my home bar that soothes the voices. <laughs> but if she's not going to be as engaged in this as she used to be, then I kind of wonder like at what point, whether it's not worth still doing. I think for the Chronicle, it's going to still be worth doing. Yeah. I think financially (laughs) for the Chronicle, it's a win. I think, you know, they're going to have a big splashy event at the end of October with a bunch of the restaurants that are on the list serving food. Tickets are like a hundred bucks, you know, so it's a moneymaker for them for sure. But as an editorial exercise, it, it may not have the same authority that it used to. There's a lot of places to go for opinions about restaurants in Houston. Certainly, I think Culture Map is the best of them, but I'm probably biased. Maybe just a little. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let us not dwell on Allison Cook. There have been a number of closings in the last week or so. I just want to review them quickly. Local Poor, the... Bar in River Oaks. We knew this was coming. Weingarten that owns the River Oaks Shopping Center where local poor resided is going to build a 30-something story residential tower on that property. Cafe Ginger has already announced that it has plans to move to West Gray and Dunleavy, literally right down the street from where they are. So so we knew this was coming, but now that it's happened, Mary, were you a local poor fan? Oh my gosh, only on drunken nights after Brasserie 19 when we would go over there. Um, <laughs> on a rare occasion, I feel like I'm too old to be a regular at Local Poor at the tender age of 35. Yeah, I remember when that was a Sherlock. Well, it was the last stop <laughs> for a long time, and that was a Sherlock's, and that Sherlock's was kind of a nightmare. <laughs> Local Poor cleaned that, cleaned up, better match the neighborhood, brought in a, a craft cocktail ethos, a great beer selection, and food that was good enough, at least for a bar. They had food? There was food. I ate, I ate the food there at least once. But no, I think I think it's a place that people are going to miss. I've been in contact with uh, Hospitality USA. So as soon as they sign a lease for a new location that keeps it in the neighborhood, they're going to let us know. Hopefully it's soon. My big question, not so much for local poor, but what's going to happen to B19? I mean, I know that they're still there and they're going to be there, but the construction with that high-rise tower the patio is a big component of that restaurant, so I'm curious to see. Yeah, I feel like 
Charles Clark and Grant Cooper are two of the smarter restaurant operators in the city. I'm sure they have a plan. We don't know what it is yet. I don't know when that construction is scheduled to begin. So, but B19 is obviously their their highest profile restaurant, and I'm sure that they will do everything they can to keep people coming back. Absolutely. And then Little Bigs, Brian Caswell's slider joint started at Montrose and Westheimer in what is now the burger joint. It moved to Chelsea Market, which is where Danton Seafood is on the other side of 59 on Montrose. They could not come to terms on lease renewal, and so that is closing at the end of September. It's an interesting time for Brian Caswell and his wife Jennifer, of course. They're in the process of opening Oxbow 7. Hopefully, we'll have, I'll have more to say about a first meal there on next week's podcast. And they're also closing a restaurant that a lot of people have enjoyed for a number of years. Jennifer told me that they're looking for a new location, options in Montrose, maybe the Heights, maybe even Tanglewood, family-friendly, slim the menu down, cut the number of sliders, and just focus on making really good burgers, really good fries, and serving really good drinks. I think I think there's still a place for Little Bigs in, in Houston's culinary world. Oh, sure. Burgers are popular. Little Bigs was popular if they find a great location, uh, that's going to, they know their clientele. As long as they find a good location that'll fit into one of these neighborhoods, they're going to do just fine. I personally went to their location where the burger joint is now more frequently than I go to the one in Chelsea. But yeah, I, there was something about that vibe with the big patio, super casual atmosphere. The Chelsea market location never quite recaptured that spirit. Yeah, and I think Burger Joint like amplified it. Um, yeah, Burger Joint really turned that up to 11, built out the patio, put a whole bunch of new TVs up there. I mean, that's a favorite spot for me. Yeah, it's a solid one. But yeah, they'll they'll do great. They'll find a new location. And I know they've got their hands full right now with their new restaurant opening. So, And then one other closing of note, Amazon Grill, which is the Cordua Restaurant Group's fast casual concept. It's been on Kirby for a long time. We, of course, know them from Churrasca's, Churrasco's, and America's uh, Houston Food Finder had an interesting article that the Corduas have closed Amazon Grill. It's going to become another location of Christian's Tailgate. And in exchange, they have taken some of the Amazon Grill menu items and they're running it as a delivery-only restaurant. I'm intrigued by this. Hmm. Delivery-only restaurant out of that location? A out of the location? America's Kitchen. Ah. So within, I think the, I think it's five miles of River Oaks. They'll deliver all the favorite Amazon Grill menu items. I'm friends with some of the people that uh, work at the River Oaks location of America's, and I know they do a lot of to-go business just off of America's menu. So, hey, why not? Yeah, burgers, sandwiches, salads, super casual. You can still get as long as you can get the plantain chips with the chimichurri. I think I'm I'm in. Me too. So yeah, I think the next time I want. Uber Eats or Favor, whatever delivery service. I think I'm, I'm going to give this Amazon Grill a shot because I'm, I'm super curious about what they're up to. And, and I have just tremendous respect for both Michael Cordua and David Cordua. They've, they've accomplished a lot in their careers. And if they're, they're kind of jumping into this delivery mode with both feet, I mean, I think that's how a lot of people like to experience restaurant food now is, you know, without having to tip, without having to dress up, just... Get it to the door, watch TV, chill out, have a good meal. 
It doesn't just have to be pizza and Chinese food anymore. Yeah, I mean, to-go food, I feel like, is only going to increase as a segment for a lot of restaurants. So good for them if they can keep it going uh, for delivery service. All right. That does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? So we have two restaurants I want to talk to you about this week. The first is One-Fifth Romance Languages, which I discussed briefly last week, but Nathan Ketchum had not been there to dine with me. You have dined there, and more importantly, you own a French restaurant, so you have strong (laughs) opinions about French, Spanish, and even Italian cuisine. Mary, I'm just going to throw it to you. What would you think of the new One-Fifth? Okay, so I love everything Chris Shepard does. I think a lot of people do too. I I was I liked the steak incarnation of One Fifth, but of course, owning a French restaurant, I was looking forward uh, to this concept more uh, than the previous one. I sat at the bar with a friend of mine and had the spaghetti carbonara. The pasta was really really good. Um, I think it was a, a, an excellent example of. Uh, carbonara, and then we had snails and croot, and this server was like, well, you should absolutely have that, and I was telling her that, well, I, I have snails at my restaurant, escargot, and I don't know, it's got to be amazing, and it was amazing. It was like chicken pot pie with snails. <laughs> it's the best uh, simplistic way I could describe it. It was pretty spectacular. Um, desserts were great there. We didn't do any of the big, big, big portion stuff. Um mainly because uh, we just wanted a couple of a la carte items and it was a late meal. Um, the tomato bread or the pan, uh, uh, pan tomate uh, was really good. It was, a, it was not the classic Spanish version. I guess in my mind I was kind of thinking that it would be, but it was topped with a, basically a salad on top and um, beautiful presentation. Cocktails were good. Wine list was uh, very nice. We had a Teutonic rosé for, I don't know, mid-40s. Um, so I was able to find some reasonable uh, wine prices on there. I'd like to take out the paella. I know that you did that. You brought me some that night, and I got to try that. That was uh, very well, uh, very very nice presentation. Um, good flavors, unusual, not a traditional paella. Yeah, we should we should get because I've that's the feedback that I've been hearing from people who saw it on my Instagram feed is like that's not paella, and the reason that they. <laughs> The reason that they say that is because it is made with fideo noodles instead of rice. It doesn't have the burned section on the bottom, the yeah. sokarat that's a key component of paella, and it didn't have any saffron in it, which Chris said was a deliberate choice that he doesn't like this. He doesn't like the saffron. He feels he feels like if he can get the sofrito, that the saffron doesn't really add anything, but. I need like six people to take down this menu properly. Yeah, I feel the same way. I, I feel like we're actually going to wind up, you and I, and, and probably a few other people are going to wind up putting a group together because there's the seafood towers that look really good. There's the charcuterie tower that looks really good. Yeah. There's a $250 steak that comes at bone and ribeye that comes with six ounces of foie gras that sounds like my kind of bad decision. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the steak, yeah, there's no way like me and another person at the bar are going to take down that steak. So we need a group. I mean, you say it like that and it sounds like a dare. I feel like maybe <laughs> properly motivated. I could I could make that happen for myself. But $250 on an entree for one is, the, even by my standards, is pretty irresponsible. The paella, I kind of have like two thoughts about the paella. I mean, the paella is $100 now I saw on the menu and 
yes, it can feed a lot of people. It's just, and I know if you break it down per person, it's not expensive, but I don't know. It just seems expensive, but I think it's worth it if you've got a big group. Yeah. I mean, it, (laughs) I tried to split it with one other person that was hopeless. Uh, I think four to six is probably better, especially if you get a couple of the pastas. I mean, there's a duck heart bolognese on the menu that looks fantastic that I can't wait to try. I had the carbonara. I think what makes it so good is that they're making their own guanciale. Chris was very specific about that and that they're sourcing really great eggs from local farms. So, you know, to the extent that Italian, one of the ethos, part of the ethos of Italian cooking is take great ingredients and don't mess them up. Chris has brought that spirit to one-fifth romance languages, and I think it's pretty exciting. Yeah, I'd like to try the duck heart. Um, that was one of the ones that I, I wanted to do. I think I'd like to try all the pastas, and the pastas were super reasonably priced. Yeah, they're all in the teens, which feels like a pretty good deal. The portions aren't huge, but again, you're not eating them as entrees. I mean, they, they really are sort of, you know, preemie sized with the idea that you'll get a couple of starters and a pasta or two for the table, and then everybody gets an individual entree or one of the big ones like the paella or the steak. But it's still, I mean, unless you really like, you really get after the steak or some of the towers, it's a lot less expensive than going to one fifth steak. And for that reason alone, I think I will make more visits there. I think the PPA, I know they're trying to keep it the same, the cost uh, for the diner, the same as the steakhouse, but I think you can definitely go here much more affordably. Yeah. And then the one other restaurant I want to talk about is Patrick Fijis and Aaron Smith Fijis, his, his wife and an accomplished chef in her own right. She won an episode of chopped among other accomplishments held a little pop-up at Camerata last weekend to preview their restaurant with whole hog and some sides. Mary, you went to Camerata. What did you think of you're a native Texan? You, you, you know, you know, brisket and pork ribs, but I don't think you, you probably had whole hog barbecue before. Um, not not the way they were doing it yesterday. It was pretty damn good. I mean, I've got family from Tennessee, so I'm also particular about my barbecue from there as well. But um, it was it was a beautiful presentation. The, the flavors were really good. I was kind of surprised that they didn't use a barbecue sauce. I was going to ask you if you got a barbecue sauce. I, I don't think it needed it, but I was just going to be curious if they were going to do one or what their take on that was. Yeah, they had like a little kind of mustardy vinegar sauce that you could, they had a bottle that you could kind of squirt on it. Okay, I didn't see that, but I I came a couple hours later. But I will say you could start, you can start to see kind of the direction that that restaurant, which there's all kinds of rumors flying around about where they're going to open. They won't confirm any of them, so I won't say out loud what I've been told. (laughs) Where they're opening, I'm not gonna. I'm you not gonna whisper it to me later. I'll whisper it to you later. I'm not gonna commit to it uh, on air on the record, but you can start to see kind of what they're doing. Purple cabbage coleslaw, pretty traditional, but then the other side was eggplant, like yeah, roasted egg- smoked eggplant that had a almost meaty texture. Yeah, it was hearty. The eggplant was hearty. The coleslaw was really light. Um, yeah, the coleslaw was acidic. It cut the flavor of the the meat. And then there was a potato salad that, I, I mean, I don't like mayo in my potato salad. I don't either. And it so was good. So this was like a good German yep. style. Yeah. I'm into it and, and I'm excited for what Patrick and Aaron have going on. And I would say follow Fiji's Barbecue on Twitter. I didn't know their handle Facebook. yesterday. I was trying to give them credit on Instagram. Yeah, they don't have I an Instagram know. account yet. I was like, uh, I don't know what to do. So I just give a shout out to Vegas and uh, Camerata. So. Sorry, yeah, guys. Yeah, they don't have... <laughs> Patrick has a personal account. It's like Patrick84 underscore 03 and then 
Aaron is purslane underscore Aaron <laughs> on Instagram. Yeah, I know. It's it's hard if you don't already follow them, but they do not have an official Fiji's Barbecue Instagram account. They're on, on <laughs> they are on Twitter. They are on Facebook. I'm sure Instagram is coming. Are they shooting for end of the year? Well, if the rumors are true, then yes, it will be okay. open by the end of the year. But I was thinking, okay, they haven't announced their location. If they're shooting for the end of the year, oh, that's like TikTok. Come on. Right. But they, they also <laughs> don't have jobs anymore because Aaron has left Camerata. <laughs> Patrick left Southern Goods. So I'm sure they want to start bringing money in instead of writing checks to everybody. Sure. And that will only happen when they open a restaurant. But they, they have been doing pop-ups. They've been at Holler Brewery a few times. So follow Patrick on social media and stay clued into that. That does it for the restaurants of the week. We will be right back with Alex DeGranza and Terry Williams from Better Luck Tomorrow. So stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Our interview this week is brought to you by our friends at Eighth Wonder Brewery, one of my favorite local breweries, conveniently located in East Downtown. I mean, you can find Eighth Wonder on Tap Walls and on store shelves all over the city. But there is something really special about visiting the brewery, whether it's for a soccer game or a baseball game. You know, certainly with the local baseball team in the playoffs, it's, it's going to be an exciting fall here in Houston, and there's really no place better to go before a game than 8th Wonder Brewery. You can have a couple of pints, maybe AstroTurf, their dry-hopped cream ale that's new and in stores, or maybe their... Side Hustle, which is a barrel-aged version of Haterade, their Goza. And of course, one of the fun things about going to 8th Wonders Brewery is that you have the Eatsy Boys food truck there. They have a new menu full of all sorts of new things to try. And just recently, they added David Attic's 36-foot-tall statues of the Beatles. John, Paul, George, and Ringo rendered in concrete in their Sgt. Pepper gear. And if you're a real Beatles fan, you'll notice that they're not positioned as they would have been on stage. I think that may be done just to infuriate hardcore Beatles fans, or maybe it's an accident. I don't know. But definitely check out Eighth Wonder. Have a beer. Have a bite from the YouTube boys. And enjoy this uh, fall weather that we all know is right around the corner. Thank you to Eighth Wonder. And here is our interview of the week. My guests this week are Alex DeGranza and Terry Williams from Better Luck Tomorrow. I'm going to introduce you individually so that people can hear your voices. Alex, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Terry, welcome to the show. It's good to be here, Eric. Thank you. So let's just dive right in. Obviously, I want to talk about what you're working on now, but we know, I think most people who are going to listen to this know both of you from your time at Anvil. Terry, can we just start with you? How did you make your way to Anvil? I had been bartending for about 10 years um, before... I, I made it uh, to working at Anvil. I'd spent five years at the Olive Garden and five years at True Lux. Um, I'd, I'd gone into Anvil um, probably the first six months that they were, they were open. Um, had a, a mixed bag of experiences the, the two or three times I went. I was shocked that, that people were coming in to drink some of these cocktails when, you know, I'd at the time, I was making steakhouse, you know, chocolate martinis and lychee martinis and doing very, very well for myself for, for doing so. Um, and I wanted to see what all this, this fuss was about. Um, it wasn't my thing at the time. Uh, a couple years went by. I went back, um, sat in front of one of the managers at the time, Hal Brock. Um, he made me um, 
to this day, two of the worst cocktails I have ever had. <laughs> he made me a reverse Sazerac, so basically two ounces of absinthe with a little bit of rye whiskey, and he made me a mezcal julep. And I had no idea why anyone uh, would come in and drink these things and rave about them, but I loved how so much that I kept coming back every single Monday after I got off work for the next three months until finally I got the guts up to turn in a resume and, and, and get started there. Yeah, I remember I remember right before Anvil opened in 2009, I had a conversation with a good friend of mine who was a Poison Girl regular. He'd go to Poison Girl with a group of friends like three, four times a week. And he said, no one is going to pay $12 for a cocktail that takes 10 minutes to make. That place is going to close in six months. We shook hands and bet dinner on it. And after like two months of Anvil being opened, it was already clear that he had lost the bet. Right. And I ate a, a very nice steak dinner on my good friend Phil. But yeah, it it it's taken a while for Anvil. Well, Anvil caught on really quickly, but I can it's interesting that it it wasn't for you right away. Well, I, I it was like I said, I, I had some really good experiences there at front and then and and from the get go and then just getting to know the the bartenders that worked there, they had amazing people working there. Like you said, it, it wasn't it wasn't for me the drinks necessarily from the from the get go, and and it just took me a little bit longer. But I wanted to know why somebody wanted to come in and drink a mezcal julep. Like I I wanted to know the reasons why, and it's what kept me coming back. Like for week after week after week, like literally every single Monday night, I would stay there from like ten thirty to to almost two a.m. hanging out, talking to the bartenders, learning. Like like I'm like I I didn't know you could know about. Not just cocktails, but but spirits and the history of these things uh, like this, and it and it really piqued my interest at a at a time where I was a little complacent and 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 bored with my current job, um, and so it was really great for me. And then Alex, you have maybe an even more unusual story <laughs> in that you were a barista in Seattle. Yeah, how did you wind up in Houston? That's a really fun story, actually. Um, so in 2010, Houston hosted the United States Barista Championships. And at the time, I had been traveling around the country judging those competitions. And uh, the organization that puts them on had actually bought out Anvil. Uh, well, at the time, I was also moonlighting as a bar back at a bar in Seattle, uh, kind of trying to mix the coffee and cocktails and kind of learn more about the culture of people drinking in general. And... Uh, you know, my, my bar back home had done stuff like guest bartending shifts. And so I was like, oh, maybe I can do a guest shift at this bar. I don't know. they've Anvil, whatever that is, you know. Um, and luckily, Bobby was like, yeah, well, actually, the organization bought it out. So I ended up doing a guest, uh, what I thought was going to be a guest bar backing shift and ended up working my first full bartending shift with like four or five hundred people here. And uh, it was it was an awesome time. And, and then Bobby and I just always kept in in touch over the years um, and and ended up in Houston. And then, Terry, you, you were the general manager at Anvil. I was the general manager at Anvil for about three and a half years. Three, three and a half years. And then, Alex, you were one of the other managers at Anvil. I was uh, one of the staff members that went through training there. So Terry and I worked together now for uh, just, I guess, three years now, just recently. And I would um, worked under him as he was my general manager, went through the training staff uh, or the training program, and then ended up um, kind of working my way through through opening up Tongue Cut Sparrow and now now being the bar manager at Better Luck Tomorrow. Right. So so how did this so how did Bobby come to you and be like, hey guys, I know you have these like pretty great jobs that you like a lot. I I want you to do this other thing. 
So uh, I, I think I, I was in a little earlier in the Bob, Bobby and I sat down got in the fall sometime last year and and he just told me that he and and Justin you uh, were starting to walk through spaces uh, together and that something might be coming up and that if I would be interested in a a larger role uh, than I than than the general manager of Anvil. And um, if there's one thing I can say about five years of, of working for Bobby is like, I've never been wanting for a challenge. Like I, I never, I, I never go to work uh, thinking I'm going to be bored for the day. Um, so, you know, talking, talking about this and this, this larger role, um, really, really exciting for me. Um, I, I love my, my, the, being the general manager of Anvil but at the same time, maybe it was time for, for new blood to to take over that that specific position. Um, and um, when we talked more about, you know, what that would look like, um, because there were two extremely capable bartenders who weren't managers yet, Alex, and then uh, the now assistant general manager of Anvil, Tommy Ho. Um, we were just talking about how we would, how he would create positions for the two of them, and 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 continue to, to challenge all of us and um, super exciting. And then Alex, I know you, so you're working as a bartender at Anvil. You helped open Tongue Cut Sparrow, which is Bobby and Peter Yonka's kind of upscale refined cocktail bar. That's hidden away downtown upstairs from don't call Patriot it a War. speakeasy. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to, I, I wouldn't dream of it. Bobby would never speak to me again if I called it a speakeasy. <laughs> But it does have an unmarked door that you have to go up to to, to find it. There's a coaster on it. Yeah. <laughs> so how did Alex? How did Bobby approach you, and and what was the appeal for you to to leave Anvil and and jump into Better Luck Tomorrow? Uh, it it was actually really terrifying. I had a little bit of a moment where I was like, you know, I I moved to Houston from Seattle specifically to work at Anvil and to work with Bobby and to be at that program. And so when when it was like, hey, we have this this idea and this program we want to do, uh, you want to leave? I, I, I didn't want to do it at first. Um, and the thing that was really appealing to me is that Anvil's culture and what happens there is really special. Um, and I know that with, with Justin and Terry and Bobby and this like kind of really amazing uh, dream team management staff, I knew that we could create something really cool and I could be a part of that beginning and help shape this cool bar that like could become something that was just as important to the heights um, as Anvil is to Montrose and to the greater city of Houston. And you're working in Bobby Hugel, obviously the owner of Anvil and a whole bunch of other places, and Justin Yu, who won a James Beard Award at Oxard and will soon open another new restaurant. You have two people who, I mean, I don't think it's exaggerating to me to say that two of the most nationally prominent people in Houston's food world. What's the What's the balance in terms of how much how much freedom did they give you over the cocktails or how much how much influence did they want over what the direction of better luck tomorrow was going to look like so that that's a, a great question um we so in that three and a half years of being general manager at An, at anvil and then alex's three years at anvil which were pretty much simultaneous with, you know with that time um we bobby and the two of two of us um, have built up a trust um, where every six months to a year, his how to say this his um, 
input on the cocktail menu became much more idea based, not idea based, more more directions and less um, like a of like a specific idea. So much more concept, uh, much more conceptual and less like very without and let us handle the specifics. So like, there's like we need one more sweet or we need one more boozy and not like. Even even less direct than that, especially with with yeah. this menu with Alex, it was very much um, build this menu for me, and and I want there to be classic aspects. I want there to be seasonal aspects, and I kind of want this balance on the menu. And I want it to hit this price point we've, with this margin base. Yeah, yeah, we've worked enough over the past couple of years where we can take a look at a menu and say this is how a cocktail functions. This is why it functions a certain way. This is why guests like it. And we took some ideas and we were looking at a menu and saying, okay, what is what is this place function as? How do people use a bar that's 60% patio and there's inside seating too, but there's food, you know, but it's not a restaurant. And we were able to sit down and look at some really cool cocktails and have discussions about them and then really deliver something that was balanced and I think appears very simple, but it also has a lot of, you know, conceptual work and a lot of ideas that really take some time to build out to make it appear to be just effortless and easy. Yeah, I think, you know, I've kind of struggled with how to categorize Better Luck Tomorrow because it does. It has this huge patio at a time when a lot of new bars have really big patios. It's got a little bit of craft beer. It's got a little bit of wine. Is it, how do you think of it? Do you think of it as a patio bar? Do you think of it as a neighborhood bar? Do you think of it as a cocktail bar? Uh-huh, sure. Yeah. Oh, here we go. <laughs> it's like, it's one of those, it's it's everything. And, and people are always going to use a bar how they want to use it. And I think that people are going to come in and sometimes they're going to treat it a little bacchanali and they're going to sit out in the hot, humid weather at 10 o'clock at night and crush bottles of wine and they're going to have a great time. Or maybe they're going to come in after the Astros game and have a beer and a shot and, and, you know, be like, this is great. Or maybe they'll come in after a Texans game and be like, well, I need a whiskey. This that was a crappy game <laughs> or whatever it might be. Um, but I, I think that it, it is a bar and, and people use bars to have fun and have a good time. And, and I think that's. That's just what we want to be able to do with people. Yeah, I, I think anytime we go into to, to opening something new or doing something new, we always think about the standards we've set. So, so with Bobby and Justin, we think about the standards that have been set at Anvil, the standards that have been set at Oxheart. So, we we wanted to do all of these things, and we wanted to do them all really, really well. So, we have Justin Van curating the wine list for us, and 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 helping us find wine on a larger volume than he's used to 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 purchasing it's been a great challenge and tons of fun for him we wanted to do cocktails that that would challenge the 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 anvil seasonal cocktail or the quarterly cocktail menu at anvil but we want to do them in a different way when we're approaching them with the the more direct seasonal the the pick up an ingredient at the farmer's market on saturday and have something for for guests uh on on monday where, where the anvil menu might take uh, six weeks to six to eight weeks to to develop, then we have to think about it on a on a three month kind of scale. I think there's 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 nothing worse than walking into a bar and also feeling like, oh, this isn't right for me right now. I'm not at the right bar for right now. And I think that we kind of hope that that bar is is a catch all where you're like, yeah, you can come after a dinner or you can go before dinner or you can go before you go to cultivare or whatever you might need to use it as and. It can function however you need it to function, or you can come for dinner. Yeah, I'm I'm coming to that. Don't 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 <laughs> think you're don't think you're getting out of the the food 
portion of this conversation, but if I said that Better Luck Tomorrow is more fun than Anvil for me because it just seems so much more relaxed, would you would you agree with that assessment? Would you disagree with that assessment? Relaxed, yes. Fun, I don't know, but yeah, and it's much more lighthearted. I mean, look at all the color in there. Like that's, I think that to me reflects that immediately. Yeah, Anvil has that kind of, and I, and I know it was just remodeled, and and so, but that very kind of lean, very modern aesthetic. You also have, I mean, people in general have preconceived notions going into Anvil. It's a, this, there's almost a, you know 900 bottles of spirits. There's this huge captain's list of of cocktails and whatnot. And and there's we are so new that we get to be a little bit more like, hey, come in, let's have fun. Well, and I, I will say Anvil has Anvil has lightened up a little bit over the years. Uh, you can you know Grey Goose kicked in for uh, Hurricane Harvey Wallbangers, so there's now Grey Goose on the back bar. I drank a seven dollar shot of Johnny Blue as one of your recent break even bottles. So I I think maybe Anvil has maybe Anvil's mellowed a little bit from the days when it was like we don't do vodka, we don't you know. It's it's less about what they don't do before my time. Yeah, well, I definitely, <laughs> I definitely went there with someone who tried to order a vodka soda, and I just was like, "Sorry, buddy, like they're they're not going to do that today." He's like, we "Well, can... what? A, why not?" I was like, "Because every other bar around here does that, and they're trying to." Yeah. And, and now and now both the bars have yeah. ten, ten, ten vodkas on the back bar to get to get your vodka soda with. Yeah, I think of you, Terry, kind of as a highball connoisseur. <laughs> I'm the I'm the martini man. I won't I won't lie. While while I have had the pleasure of going to Japan and and drinking my fair share of highballs with with Bobby and and Peter Yonke, the 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 manager of of Tongue Cut Sparrow, that's that's their thing. I I use it in Japan as a, I don't really drink beer, so highballs in Japan for me are 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 Sapporo Light and and Kirin Light and 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 whatever. I fell in love with with martinis over there, and and you see it reflected in in Alex's uh, Gibson uh, on the on the Better Luck Tomorrow menu. You've seen it in in all of the 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 martini iterations that we've done at at Anvil. I brought olives into the bar for the first time. There, there I don't think there had ever been olives in the bar. If there were, they weren't kept regularly when I started there. So, so what is it about a martini that? intrigues you so again this comes from these these trips to japan that we we're, that we've taken and that we're taking again in a couple weeks um with where i was reintroduced to a style of martini that i made it at at steakhouses uh with a much drier more gin forward uh much less vermouth than what many of the cocktail bars including anvil and across the country were doing at the time um, and we got served these beautiful Castelvetrano olives, you know, the bright green, not soaked in, in brine, but soaked in, uh, you know, much milder lye water. Um, and and um, it, it just changed my thought process about the drink. And I and I wanted to come back and knew, know more about it. And then we went to London and visited the Duke's Hotel where they make this undiluted frozen monster of a, of a martini with a couple of dashes of, of vermouth in it. And I was like, how, you know, Bobby and I talked, how do we do this at, in Houston where everybody drives and nobody takes public transportation? We can't serve a, a five-ounce undiluted gin martini. And so we found this little small cute glass that we could serve this smaller version of the drink in. Um, and, it, and it's just been a passion, to be honest. It's, it's one of the few cocktails I do drink when I, when I go out. I, I drink a lot of martinis no matter what city I'm in. And then, Alex, do you have a cocktail that's kind of an obsession for you? Oh, man. Um, 
I'm trying to think. I, I drink, I mean, I think I, I hang out with these guys so much. I do drink a lot of highballs and I drink a lot of martinis. Um, I think the, the, the Jungle Bird kind of turned into my obsession a number of years ago. Um, and I, I just thought it was like this really awesome, tropical, tiki, um, like bittered, but it was like pink and it was like confusing and you liked it, but you were like, oh, there's pineapple. And, but yeah, that, that was kind of my cocktail that I kind of obsessed about for a little bit and kind of reiterates uh, or resonates with me. So you, you mentioned that people come to Better Luck Tomorrow for food. You know, I, I, will, I will concede that it is not a restaurant. But do you have people that use it like a restaurant? Do you have people that just like come and eat like a thing and get a glass of wine or a beer and then leave? Absolutely. Um, I, I would say most commonly there's two enormous apartment complexes across the street uh, from us, and, and they definitely on weekdays use this like that. But then we also see them on Friday night out on the patio with a big group of friends drinking beers. And, and, and then also uh, I, I'd say we see a fair amount of, of the, uh, the neighborhood restaurants and bars uh, coming down and using us as their after-dinner or after after shift uh, place for food, cultivari staff, uh, eight row staff, we, presidio staff. From we see them come in too. So right, and you serve food till midnight. So that's every night, pretty useful. Alex, do you have a, a favorite dish or two on the menu? Uh, the my two favorites right now are actually we have this uh, chilled seafood of the season dish, which is a octopus dish, um, and then we also have the uh, grilled buttered corn, which is uh, like a uh, miso butter corn with black sesame seeds and some Korean uh, chili flakes on there, and it's awesome. I, it's weird when people are like, "What do you recommend?" And I'm like, "It's corn," and they're like, "Okay, yeah, I, I've had corn before, but this is really one of those that I absolutely love on the menu." Yeah, it's not it's not quite a lote. It's kind of inspired by that. It's kind of its own thing. I, I mean, I think that again, like I, I know Bobby will have my head on a spike if I call it a restaurant, but it, it is restaurant quality food. It is it is worth coming to Better Luck Tomorrow hungry so that you can eat the food, not just for drinks. A hundred percent. I I think that we offer uh, the cycle, uh, which is all ten, uh, you know, items on the menu, and I think it's the arguably the best deal in town. Uh, to you know, where else can you go to get that kind of quality food uh, for ninety nine dollars for order an entire menu? And that'll feed what like four ish. Menu says three to four people. Come no. hungry if it's three. And then, I've watched a couple of, of, of couples do it. Like, oh, it's date night. hundred bucks, that's fine. We'll just have one of everything. And then they just have a stack of to-go boxes afterwards. Like, ah, we can't. So, I mean, obviously you've both been very successful. I mean, Terry, you won My Table Bartender of the Year. You won the Culture Map Bartender of the Year. Alex, you're an eater young gun. I mean, you've been, by any account, very successful working for other people. Do you aspire to go out on your own and, and have your own place? I, I, I'll, I'll answer this first. I, I really enjoy being Robin. Um, uh, I, I, I really like working for Bobby and now working for Justin. Um, they, they, they take care of their staff like, like I've never seen anyone take care of their staff, myself included, but it, it builds great teams. It builds great teamwork. I just love being a part of this. So for the foreseeable future, I don't have any interest in, in, in opening up anything new. 
uh, solo. Like I, I love working for them. So I think that eventually, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm going to end up doing something. I have no plans to do that right now. And I think that working for someone like Bobby and working for someone like Justin, you provides me a lot of inspiration on how I want to treat my employees eventually and, and how I want to, um, grow my business and how I want to think about the future of myself and, and everyone that helps a successful business be successful, that it's been a really amazing experience to spend three years watching that process and being like, you know, right next to them and, and watching the company grow and watching uh, each other grow and, and watching how that, that happens. And I think as long as I can sit around and watch that, um, I'm going to keep learning on, on how to be a better owner. I could have, you know, I've certainly had opportunities, you know, five, six years ago before I even moved to, to Houston to do that. And it just never really felt right to me because I was like, I don't, am I going to be a good owner or, or am I going to be that guy that's going crazy that people like, are just like, he shouldn't have done that. It's too young or too well, that, early or whatever. Right. And that's or, what I was, that's what I was going to, going to touch on. I, I think so oftentimes we, some, this industry pushes us into these positions at a really young age as more and more bars and restaurants open and demand bar programs and demand bar managers. Uh, I didn't, my first management job was Anvil and I was 30 uh, when 30 or 31, when I got that position and I still didn't feel like I was ready to do it. Uh, you know, granted they opened restaurants and bars at very young ages and they're special people. But like, I, I feel so often like, like people jump into it too quick and. Yeah. I, I was managing my first bar when I was 22 because I had been there for 18 months and everyone else had just not stuck around long enough and they left. And so I kind of got stuck in this position where I was like, why am I 22 years old? And then every bar I went to after that, they were like, oh, you have management experience? Do you know how to order and do spreadsheets or like make a cocktail and price it out? All right, so you're going to take this and we're going to have you not be a bartender, but you're going to be in a management position. And and that's ultimately what drove me out of Seattle was to be able to come here and, and be a student um, and, and learn how to be a part of something really awesome. Well, and I will say every time I look at the captain's list at Anvil and every spirit lists which bartender has visited that distillery. And it's like you guys and, and the, the whole rest of that crew have traveled the world through this company that you work for. I mean, that's an incredible opportunity. Yeah. I, so I'm, I'm high. And so I don't necessarily expect you to have a response to that. I'm just highly jealous. No, I, <laughs> I, I, I kind of joke with, with my mom. I am like, mom, 10 years ago, uh, I tell you that I'm still bartending. Uh, I'm traveling the world. I'm making the kind of money that I, that I am. And I'm super happy. And I've got health insurance. Like, and you're okay yeah. with all of it we'd both laugh at each other's face, right? Like, yeah, so. And then, Terry, I, I do just have one other thing I have to ask you about. Yeah. Why do you hate Topo Chico? <laughs> <laughs> Topo Chico makes fantastic Tom Collinses and mojitos. It is great in a cocktail. For me personally, um, I find it to be a little abrasive and a little salty for I use water as a refreshing, hydrating um, thing that I usually drink rather quickly. Um, and Topo Chico doesn't allow me to do – it doesn't, doesn't satisfy any of those three or four uh, needs that I just mentioned. So, See, I, I sip it as a sugarless alternative to soda. And I don't drink soda, so. Yeah, I was a huge soda drinker, and it got me off of soda. So I, I appreciate it for that. And so I keep a fridge – you know, I'm buying it 30 bottles a time. At yeah, yeah. And keep it in the fridge. And more power to you. I will continue to drink <laughs> Houston's finest through a Brita filter. 
All right. Well, that that does it for my questions. It is now time for the lightning round. Five easy questions, short answers. I got told recently by a listener that my questions had gotten stale, so I'm mixing it up just a little bit this week. But I still like them, so Perfect. it's my show. All right, <laughs> Terry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with you. What's the first restaurant you ever worked at? Casa Ole. Alex? Oof. Uh, first restaurant I ever worked at would have been Miller's Guild. Terry, the first concert you ever saw? Uh, Bush and Veruca Salt. <laughs> Alex? Uh, Brooks and Dunn. Fantastic. Uh, Alex, your, or sorry, yeah, Alex, your fast food guilty pleasure. It's got to come from a drive thru to be oh. uh, I'm going to hate to say this. Um, when I am drunk, I love Jack in the Box uh, tacos. It's a good answer. It's <laughs> a great answer. Terry? Uh, chicken McNuggets from, from McDonald's with barbecue sauce, although I want that Mulan sauce now, so. <laughs> Uh, Terry, your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Craig Biggio. Alex? Uh, Slick Watts. I don't know who Slick Watts is. Uh, Nobody does. Yeah, yeah, no. uh, He was someone who played for the Seattle Supersonics uh, and then moved from the Supersonics and ended up coming to uh, play for the Rockets. All right. Kind of like me. And then, uh, Terry, finally, what is your favorite drink you've ever created for a cocktail menu? It's not an original cocktail, but the, the drink that I'm proudest to have put on, on the menu is, is our version of the Duke's Martini uh, at Anvil. Like I, I'm so proud that we managed to adapt that in a way that I felt was true to the, the original and, and got people to actually drink it. Uh, the Irish coffee that we have uh, from Anvil that we've now actually brought over to Better Luck Tomorrow. Yeah, it's kind of a cult favorite. Yeah, it is. Um, I, we put it back on the menu, uh, or at least had it for a week post uh, hurricane harvey and i'm like man it's really hot and it's wet and people are not going to want this it's in the middle of august and people were coming in and drinking you know like three or four irish coffees uh which was great terry we can follow you on instagram at anvil bitter bear alex we can follow you on instagram at a underscore negroni which i should say is actually probably one of my cocktails that i really actually love drinking <laughs> Uh, better luck tomorrow is on Instagram at BL tomorrow. I think, is it BL tomorrow.com for the website? Is that BL? To- uh, no, uh, it's better luck tomorrow. H O U dot com for the website. All right. Very good. You can follow. And of course, thank you to Mary Clarkson who joined me earlier. She is La Olivier Houston on Instagram, La Olivier Houston.com for all of their upcoming wine dinners and goings on. You can follow me on Twitter at E. Sandler, on Instagram, at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest bar and restaurant news. And, of course, we appreciate it when you subscribe to this show on either iTunes or Google Play. Rate it, leave a comment. But like Katie Nolan says, only if it's five stars and only if it's nice. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week.